Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming and empowering you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Several ways you can do so. Go visit us on all our social media on the Facebook page, Zero Network Facebook page. Go there on Twitter at Zero Radio. My personal handle at Lorenzo T. Neal. Like, follow, all of that stuff. We appreciate you so much. Check out my website, LorenzoTNeal.com, and uh, re upload the articles. Purchase a couple of my books, and you should be good to go. And if you have not done so, I want to invite you to support this show on Patreon. Simply go to Patreon.com. Slash Lorenzo T. Neal and become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. We thank you so much for all that you have done, will do, and are doing to help this show be so great. We've got a lot to talk about. I have a very special guest with me this uh, on this show. And that is the person of Mr. Tim Ward, who is the co-author of the Pro-Truth Pledge book. Pro-Truth book. Uh, Pro-Truth book. And uh, he'll be my guest, and we have a wonderful interview, and I, I'm delighted to have him. But uh, before we get into that, a couple of topics of the day that we will be discussing. If you have not heard already, um, uh, the notorious RPG, RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, has passed away at the age of 87. She was Supreme Court Justice on the bench for, uh, I believe, 25 years, and for that was known as an advocate for uh, women's rights and the rights of the LGBT plus community. And um, she was known on the court as the leader of the liberal uh, coalition of the court, I guess you can call it that. And uh, she was pretty outspoken, but very, very general, generous woman in her... Uh, approach to law and you know you did not I didn't agree with it personally with a lot of things <laughs> but over the last uh, several years she became a pop icon of sorts and garnering her the nickname moniker RBG notorious RBG and of course that comes from notorious B.I.G. the rapper but anyway she has passed away and they will be memorializing her during this week. Uh, I believe today she will be in in um, the Supreme Court and, and laying in state in there in that building. And then on Friday of this week, she will lay in state in the U.S. Capitol in the Hall of Statuary, Statuary Hall, whatever they call it. Uh, but it doesn't matter where you agree with her. You have to admire the fact that she fought for what she believed in, and that's something that is to be uh, greatly admired and um, 
she she deserves the recognition that she got. She deserves to be honored the way she will be honored and memorialized. So we send condolences to her family, to the members of the Supreme Court. We also recognize that this is an opportunity for President Trump to nominate his third individual to the court. And while there's speculations to when he, who he will do and when he will do it, one thing that is certain is <laughs> folks don't want him. Some folks don't want him to do it. Other folks don't care if he does it. Um, this is, in fact, while he was he was elected for, by evangelicals who uh, wanted to stack the Supreme Court, in so many words. They wanted to stack it with conservatives with the hopes of possibly overturning Roe versus Wade, the abortion issue now I, I don't see that happening anytime soon i honestly believe that that will not be overturned i believe america has kind of settled in and although i may be pro-life i understand that that <laughs> that that, uh, that fight will never really end because they'll find something else to replace it with so anyway chop will be the first president in a long time to be able to nominate and possibly have a third person to be on the Supreme Court within his term. I believe he'll be the first one in history to do it within the first term. I, uh, if they pass, if they if they pass it, then if the Senate uh, confirms and does so before the election that will be a first i could be mistaken but i'd love to hear from that from you all about that if if i'm mistaken but i know it'd be the first in modern history to have done so by modern history i'm talking about within the lifetime of the last five living presidents or four however many live let's see it's four now clinton obama uh bush jr and carter yeah, four, and Trump makes five. But anyway, so we will see how that goes because some people, and, and this was really disturbing to me to see a lot of individuals who were so passionate about uh, Ruth Ginsburg and her term on the on the high court, and to see them go uh, belligerent to the degree because of her passing and knowing that Trump now has the ability to support, to appoint another, uh, to nominate rather, not to appoint, but to nominate someone else to the court. It is truly disturbing to see how some of them are reacting. But at the same time, you know, I understand it. I can't, can't. Yes, I can. <laughs> I wouldn't act like that. But, you know, that's how elections are. That's how politics work. And uh, as I understand, some person he's looking at is more moderate, which would be good if Trump appoints someone moderate to the bench. And uh, his most recent appointment uh, nominee, and uh, who did make it to the bench amidst all kinds of controversy, has proven to be somewhat moderate, um, not as conservative and He's actually voted against President Trump, in, on a, uh, not voted against, but ruled against President Trump on some things. So it, it may be 
may be good for Trump in the long run, you know, because the, the court is a little bit more balanced than usual. But it is what it is. So we will be praying for uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's family. We'll be praying for uh, the Senate and the nominee and all of that that will happen in the time to come. But until then, y'all prepare to vote. We have about 41 days, 41 days, give or take, until the election. If you're not registered to vote, you should get the Please do so. October the 5th is the last official day to register to vote and be able to be eligible to vote in the November 3rd election. And also, once you register to vote, make sure you get a sample ballot so you will actually know what's on the ballot. This Yes, this is a presidential election, but there are a lot of people who go to, you know, on the, during presidential elections, the only thing they know is voting for president. But there are Senate seats that, are, that will be up. There are a lot of states that will have um, propositions on the ballot. A lot of them will have other things. And then you have the local governments that may have some things that are on the ballot that you need to be aware of. So please, get a, get a ballot. Get a ballot. Be informed. Be educated. There's, and there's no law against you studying the ballot before you vote. Don't just get the ticket. I, I grew up where they just gave you the ticket. And they said, this is the ticket. And this is what you go and you voted. Now, you couldn't take that ticket into the voting booth. But you you already knew that when you got this hint, you know, this ticket, this that's what, how you were going to vote. And for a lot of people, that's what they relied on. My great-grandparents, my grandparents, uh, once they got the opportunity to vote, that's what they did. They just you know, they, they were told this is the ticket, and, and most of the times it was straight D's down the line, Democrat. <laughs> but uh, be informed, be, an edu be educated, and make sure you vote your values. Don't just vote because you're a Democrat. Don't just vote because you're a Republican. Vote your values. It's okay. Um, it's okay if you vote Republican for the president and vote Democrat for your local office that's okay that shows the power of our uh, representative government and that's what you should appreciate and don't buy into all the schism and division that's being uh, polluted in our uh, political system I think there's a lot of tribalism that's going on right now and it's very troubling to me to see this process going the way it is but anyway uh, just want to make sure that you all get out to vote and be informed of the things around you so that you can help see change in this country, that change that really needs to come. Going to take a short break, and when we come back from the break, oh, wait, before I, before I, I go to break, I got some breaking news. Mr. Deion Sayer, Sanders, Deion Sanders, primetime himself, has become the new head coach of Jackson State University. Uh, the Tigers of Jackson State University is HBCU here in Jackson, Mississippi. And Deion Sanders, of course, is famous for his, his skills on the field now being transferred to a uh, coaching position. Well, I'm excited about it. I know all of Jackson is excited about it. 
in. We're, we're going to try to see how this how this is going to work. And this is just me. Being an alumni of a historically black college and university, I would love to see more black kids go to our universities. Uh, there are at least 112 uh, historically black colleges and universities across this country. And most of them were the only options that people had, black people had, prior to 1960 or prior to 1970. Those were the only options. You couldn't go. If you did get accepted into a predominantly white institution of learning, you were the exception. And you could still go to an HBCU. And, of course, they weren't called that. But you could still go to uh, one of those institutions and succeed. And uh, from, my, from my school, there are plenty, plenty of successful individuals. Um, but... I strongly encourage young black men and g boys and girls to go to HBCU. You will really appreciate the experience. <laughs> and trust me, it is a true learning curve going to an HBCU. But anyway, I just wanted to share that news. So let me take this break. And when we come back, I'll have Mr. Tim Ward and go into the interview from there. <music> find it hard to believe, but at one point in your life, you're going to need access to reliable legal services. Legal issues can be confusing, complicated, and even a bit embarrassing. That's why I joined the family at Legal Shield. Legal Shield offers the most affordable, comprehensive legal coverage available. And for a small monthly fee, I have access to Legal Shield's personal plan that includes attorneys who will represent me and provide me advice, even draft and review documents on my behalf. Not only do they provide excellent legal service, but with their ID Shield, I'm also guaranteed protection from all fraud, including identity theft protection. Did I mention to you I have so many perks and benefits that come with being a member of Legal Shield? Yeah, that pretty much covered the plan by itself. For the last 45 years, Americans have trusted Legal Shield for all their legal needs, and I'm glad that I've joined them. So give them a call. Visit their website, www.legalshield.com. I'm telling you, you will be glad that you did. <laughs> Welcome back to the Zero Today Show with Dr. Neil. Thank you so much for uh, thinking in our robbery to tune in with us today. I'm honored to have a very 
special guest with me. Uh, he's an author. He's a former journalist. He's a communication specialist. All that stuff. And if I messed up, I messed up. He could tell you better than I can. I uh, have with me Mr. Tim Ward, who is the co-author of the book uh, Pro Truth. And Pro Truth, a practical plan for putting truth back into politics. Uh, thank you, sir, for being on. It's my pleasure, Dr. Neal, to be your guest. Thank you very much. So let's start by having my audience, introducing yourself to my audience, tell them, tell them better than what I could ever do about you, the conception of this book, and however you want to go from there. Sure. So um, much of my career has been as a journalist and then as somebody who teaches people how to give good media interviews. And mostly I work with international environment and development groups, basically organizations that try to make the world a better place. And one of the things that we always teach is your credibility is your best asset. And if you're going to speak to the media, you owe it to the public to tell them the truth. So truthfulness has been part of my business model right from the, right from the beginning. And one of the things that's really upset me in the, uh, not just the last four years, but really the last decade or so, is how truthfulness seems to be being leached out of politics. You know, everything from, from Watergate to the... Uh, to uh, to Iran Contra to uh, Clinton's escapades in the in the White House. That's evidence um, right there. Yeah, ex exactly. To um, uh, the Bush administration, weapons of mass destruction. That was you know a lot of hype, but not much actual evidence. And then with the the current president, who really seems to not value truth so much that the phrase "post truth" came along. I really felt this so antithetical to the democratic values that people hold um, that I really wanted to do something about it. And uh, when I was deciding I was going to write a book and started researching, I came across Gleb Spursky, who's been a guest on your show, and the Pro-Truth Pledge. And he and I agreed together that the pledge, it's a great social way, but we also wanted to arm individuals to give them like a vaccine against the viral disinformation and lies that have so contaminated our political life these days. And so together we wrote Pro-Truth. And our goal with the book is to make sure that everyone who reads it can spot a lie coming their way and has actions that they can take, not only to help improve their social circle, their social media circle, but even broader, be part of a movement that can help us persuade political actors to be more honest with the public, because that's what we want. We want the truth. You're absolutely right. And I, I, I've sensed this over the last, uh, I guess, more so over the last four years, uh, four and a half years than ever before. And you got to excuse me, my little dude is here <laughs> wanting attention. Everybody, y'all hear Jackson in the background. I can't control. I'm not even going to try to control him. I'm going <laughs> to later. But anyway. <laughs> I, I, I sense this, especially over the last four years, and being a part of uh, uh, being in ministry where I'm supposed to be communicating truth, as mm -hmm. as I understand it, as we come as in our religious, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Our religious perspective and pursuit. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what we're supposed to be doing, and it grieves me to see how much 
false information, misinformation, and disinformation is out there. So I, I appreciate you and Dr. Sapersky for writing this book. So let's get into it. What is the pro-truth, pro-truth pledge and all of that? that share with my audience, because uh, it's been a while since <laughs> Gleb on. So share with sure. my audience what it is. Sure. You know, for a good number of people, Dr. Neal, they feel a visceral distaste of lies. I mean, thou shalt not lie is not only one of the Ten Commandments, but as we all make our way through life, we know people that lie to us can't be trusted. And so we tend to shy away from liars. It's, uh, you know, you don't want to do business with somebody who's not honest with you, and you don't want to be married or intimately connected with somebody who will lie to your face. So we instinctively feel lies are bad. And yet in the political sphere, we've gotten used to the idea that politicians can lie and get away with it. But they only do it as much as we do. It's like parenting. If you let your kids get away with bad behavior, they'll just keep doing it. But if you yeah, say I, no, I, enough. I, 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 I just demonstrated that with my dog right there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So the, um, the pro-truth pledge is part of a pro-truth movement from people of all different political parties. Uh, there, there are people who've joined who are what you would call very right-wing, people who are very uh, liberal. There are, are, are people who are scientists and people who are theologians. It's all around the spectrum. But the one thing they have in common is they recognize the truth matters. And beyond that, they recognize that if you don't value truth in politics. You actually don't have a basis for a democracy. When you think about it, one of the beautiful things about this country is people with different beliefs and backgrounds are the ones who founded it, right? It was freedom of religion that drew all the pilgrims to this country back in the, in the, 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 in the, in the early days before it was even a nation. So people with different beliefs are allowed to practice their beliefs here, but we can form a political system when those people agree on a common set of truths. Right? We hold these truths to be self-evident. <laughs> it's really one of the basic ones. But all of public life means you have to agree on some truths. And then you can debate, well, which, which way are we going to go? There are different policy prescriptions that different people with different beliefs will have. But when you have a common set of, of facts, then you can agree on what to do. And if you can't agree on the facts, then people, it breaks down into tribalism. And the tribes are fighting the tribes, just like, you know, you know, back in Old Testament days, and everybody is your enemy. And, you know, that's what we've actually seen today. It's no surprise. When you devalue the truth, people who don't think like you, they become the enemy. It breaks my heart, Dr. Neil, to hear, um, you know, some of my friends on Facebook saying, they hate our country, right? As if anybody hates their, this, this country that we live in. But that's how polarized it's gotten. And, and it's happened because we've lost our sense of truth. So that is, for, for me and for Gleb, that's where this started. And helping people regain truth is something they can stand on, as a firmament they can stand on, is what the Pro-Truth Pledge and what the book and the movement is all about. So let me hit you with the first question that comes out yeah. of the book. Chapter one, why should we care about truth in politics? Yeah, well, I, you know, as, as I said, if you don't care about truth in politics and, and you allow political leaders to lie to you and 
you don't punish them for it, then the best liar wins. The one who tells people the biggest con, they're the ones people will end up voting for. And if you've got the biggest con artist winning the election, you're going to get that in government too. You're going to get corruption because they're going to do special deals with their friends and family. Hmm. Has that happened? Yes. Check the box. You're going to get incompetence. You're going to get people denying reality, and then there's going to be tragedy. The pandemic right? It's going to disappear, folks, right? Like a miracle, it'll go away, right? These, and, and then we find out that actually Trump was saying he was doing that deliberately as a strategy. He wanted to play it down. Wow. I mean, he's saying that he lied to the American people. And with the pandemic, there's a real cost. Those are facts we're being lied about. And, I, you know, this book is non-political. I don't frankly care what people's perspectives are, mm -hmm. left or right, but I do care about how they value the, the truth. And then worst of all, you get authoritarianism because these structures of democracy that depend on truth get knocked out one by one. You get people saying, hey, elections, you know, it's going to be rigged or, you know, um, these votes don't count or you can vote twice. All these things, these lies that start to flood in, people lose their confidence in the system itself. And that breeds authoritarianism. So short answer, lack of truth in, in politicians in election leads to corruption leads to incompetent and leads to authoritarianism. And that sadly is the path that we seem to be falling down. In the book you talk about, um, you actually define what telling the truth is um, and give scenarios about that in chapter one of the book, which I really appreciate the scenarios as I was reading through them. It, it gave me a little bit more perspective into how we formulate the idea of what we believe to be true. And I was reading some of the scenarios and I'm like, I've thought like that before. And I'm sure plenty of people think like this. And the ration, rationale for thinking like that is based on the information they receive. Mm -hmm. And they choose to uh, formulate it based on however they have processed it. Yeah. Yeah. So Exactly. Uh, I mean, so when the other thing about the pro-truth book, I, I, and I really appreciate that you, you and uh, Dr. Persky are very much non-political, apolitical with this, um, because this is an apolitical issue. Yeah. Um, well, I would even say it's a, it's a trans-partisan issue. It's not that it's not political, it's that everybody to the left and the right has a stake in the truth being established and then the debate being over policy, right? If the truth is we're in a pandemic, the policy should be, what's the best way to deal with it? If the truth is humans are causing climate change, then the policy argument should be, how do we deal with it? Yeah, so let's get to the media and its involvement yeah. in this. Um, now, we all know uh, upon election and even at, prior to his election, President Trump began to uh, invoked a phrase of fake news mm -hmm. uh, regarding any article or any information presented reg about him. And he took it personal and uh, it didn't matter what the facts were, were, he was able to just simply say fake news. And, and that, that went viral. People were saying it, including myself, were using yeah. it. We were using it. I was using it as a meme, you know, uh, but we saw the world leaders Incorporate, incorporating that into their rhetoric and yeah. 
and the media promoting and this this it was this war between who could prove who was fake or not right right um the fact that mainstream media has contributed quite a bit to misinformation and if i could use the black lives matter um, please movement as an example uh for the last eight years or more you know the, the narrative regarding black lives particular black men and police involved shootings or engagement has been promoted as something that's uh, all but inevitable for a black men. So if I go out on the street and, and I encounter a white police officer, uh, the, the end result will likely end with me being victimized in some capacity. And that has become the narrative. Um, and you write in the book, a chapter on the decline of mainstream media's influence. And can you explain how their their decline in influence is contributing to this need for uh, pro-truth. Sure. So uh, let me say first, uh, I'm a former journalist. And I really, um, one of the things that I loved about journalism is it required finding out what really happened, talking people to people who were there at the scene, if it's like a, a, a crime or something like that, um, doing research. Uh, if it was a matter of, of policies or, or discovering origins or something, or science, you know, talking to scientists about how did they find something. Uh, so the whole role of journalism is to discover what happened and then to report on it in a way that is clear and doesn't give a biased perspective. So you want to have different perspectives so that people can see how different people saw this event, this thing that you're, that you're writing about. Journalism is like a fabulous check on political lies. And in fact, some people forget the media is known as the fourth estate, right? We've got the presidency, we've got Congress, we've got the Supreme Court, but the media is, is an essential part of a democracy. They're the ones who tell people what the heck is going on. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So that's a very crucial role to play in our society. Now, the media is always challenged by politicians who want to lie, by business leaders who want to lie, by, um, by, by, by legal cases where different people are telling lies all the time. So lies are something the media is used to dealing with. It's always challenging, but part of their job is to tease out who's telling the truth and who's telling the lie. They don't, they don't always get it right, but part of their job is to do their best at it. The challenge that's really hit the mainstream media, though, was the internet. When the internet mm. came along, and I'm old yeah. enough—I'm old enough that I remember, right? You used to buy your newspaper, right, and and they'd be be delivered to your door every week. That's how everybody got their their news. Yes, yes. But when the internet came along, why would you pay to have a piece of paper delivered to you when you can just get it virtually? And since most of the media's revenue comes from advertising sales, those started to plummet, and that meant. A lot of newspapers went out of business. A lot of others had to lay off a lot of their investigative journalist staff. And so there was less and less manpower, woman, man and woman power to do the job. At the same time, the internet pushed us into a 24 hour news cycle. So you couldn't report on something once a day. You had to have the news now, 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 now. The internet was constantly updating. And so these pressures in many cases caused the media 
to be less good at their job. They just simply didn't have the resources. Um, and in some ways that made it easier for them just to report uh, dramatic headlines. So if the, if the president or really any, any leader fires off a tweet and says something outrageous, simply reporting on the tweet becomes a news story without the rigorous fact checking around it to determine, well, what is really behind this? So that's some of the ways in which the media has lost its own power and then lost its influence because people have come to trust it less and less. And one of the things that we talk about in the book is, man, if you want to keep the media alive, you have to consider supporting them and you can get subscriptions to, 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 to newspapers uh, for like five or six bucks a month. It's like the cost of a couple of slices of pizza. So we think one of the best things you could do is find credible journal, credible news outlets and support them. Um, your local NPR station, doesn't really matter what it is, but you gotta pay for something, just like we pay for the rest of our government through taxes. And you make a, a good point regarding the internet. Um, now I came of age, I was in college. No, actually I was in high school when the interwebs yes. <laughs> <was> beginning. <laughs> All those tubes. Yeah, uh, and I can I can remember uh, my senior year in high school and my first year of college. The, it was rare to have access to it. Um, and by my sophomore junior year, they made it, you know, made it available. And I got my, I think it was connected to Yahoo and and um, all these other groups and online chat on forums and stuff like that. So I got involved with that, and. I've seen it evolve to where I rely, honestly, I rely on, on YouTube, <laughs> YouTube individuals, personalities to provide more information than I get from the mainstream media than watching ABC, NBC, MSNBC. Um, I, because I know those persons more likely are uninhibited from the information they're able to, uh, to give out. And, some of it is credible, some of it is not credible. And I've, I've noticed over the last several years that when I do watch mainstream media, nine times out of 10, it's all commentary. There's very little information given. This is, they'll have a panelist, a group of panelists, and these persons are only presenting talking points, counter talking points. They're never really talking about specific issues only circling their, their satellites around it. And I think that's what is for a lot of people who listen and watch the news, that's what confuses them because these persons are supposed to be considered experts. These persons are supposed to be considered authorities. And the only thing they're providing is commentary. You are absolutely right. So a lot of what passes for news has shifted into opinion. And the media does a poor job at distinguishing between what's news coverage and what is analysis and opinion. Um, you especially see that on network news channels like, like CNN, MSNBC, a lot of Fox News shows. Well, it's understandable because guess what? There's no research involved in commentary and opinion. You can just get some people together and they just say what they, they think and what they feel. There's your show. But if you're doing news, you have to research it. You have to fact check it. You have to go out and do interviews. So it's cheaper to do commentary. And since news channels like the ones I've just mentioned are now 24 seven, just hard for them to pay for it. 
So a lot of commentary is now appearing in ways that it's hard to distinguish between news. One of the things that we say in the book that news organizations need to do is they need to be much clearer about what is commentary and what is news. You can't tell just from reading a headline. So that often misleads people. It's one of the big things that the media has got to work on. Uh, now, I will, let, me, let me come back and say one, one, one more thing. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned your sources of news are uh, YouTube personalities. And there's pluses and minuses for getting your source of news from a non-mainstream media source. The first one is you may like what a person has to say. You may like their values and their beliefs. But that doesn't mean that they themselves are doing a credible job at fact-checking. So as if you start with somebody you think is really trustworthy, it's worth rigorously fact-checking them to see if they're, what they're saying lines up with the facts that can be determined. Now, frankly, if you find somebody amusing or you just liked what they say, there's no harm watching them, but you should have appropriate skeptical filters if they haven't been rigorously fact-checked. The real problem with social media is people tend to pass on what yeah. they see without checking to make sure whether it's fact or opinion or even bold-faced lies. Because we know so many countries have farms that churn out misinformation intended to deceive American voters. And that's tailor-made to fool us. And people pass it on to their friends, to their relatives, and who do we trust? Our friends and relatives. So if I'm your friend, Dr. Neil, and you send me a poster or video, and say, hey, check this out. I'm going to think, hey, Dr. Neil sent it to me. Probably it's true because I know you. So that's where big misinformation gets into the American mind. It, it, it's funny that you should bring that up because uh, your book does address social media. A whole chapter yeah. to it. <laughs> yeah. And um, one of the things uh, that you touched on is sharing, individual yeah. sharing. Um, I've, I've, I've told people, don't send me anything. Don't, because I was getting a lot of, um, and this is, I don't know what, but in, in the black community, for whatever reason, we'll take uh, sound bites, or not even sound bites, but, but just memes of black people, actors, or athletes, mm -hmm. and there's a quote attributed to them, and we can't validate, verify if that quote, that quote comes from them or not, and we just share it and share it and share it. And then there, there's one, there's a lot of incidents, incidents where people are sharing stories that have been proven false. And yeah. sometimes years later, it comes up again and gets shared just as virally. And, Absolutely. And, yeah. and <laughs> I'm notorious. You know, <laughs> I'd be like, all y'all have to do is just Google. I mean, at, I, the, very, I at the very least. Just it's Google, so true. Google search. So you're thing. like, oh my gosh, Eddie Murphy died in a ski accident. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, at least that one just goes around again and again and again. Yeah, like the uh, the the death hoaxes, you know. Yeah, yeah. I can't tell you the number of people who have died. <laughs> yeah. At least three different times. Yeah. <laughs> before they actually pass. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I've been fighting, especially since I I took the pro truth pledge. I've written about the pro truth pledge, and of course I am endorsing the book. Mm -hmm. truth. But I try to be as vigorous as I can with providing people accurate information as best I yeah. can. Thank you. Boy, and I, I hope your listeners really hear that and take it to heart. You know, 
it's simple. There's several great fact check sources out uh, out there. I'm sure you you you've, you've promoted them as uh, as well. Okay. Oh, sometimes it just takes you 30 seconds. Oh no, that's a false rumor that's going around. 30 seconds, boom. You know, in in our book, one of the comparisons we make is we say misinformation online, viral misinformation, those memes that go bad. Um, it's really like a virus, but like a virus, there's things you can do. You can wash your hands so that you don't spread a virus if you shake somebody's hand. You can fact check a story or a meme before you pass it around. It doesn't take you long, but it helps other people keep safe. It's as simple as that. So one of the things we suggest is there's three or four good behaviors you can commit to doing that will keep your friends and community safe from lies. Now, whether or not a certain celebrity has lived or died, that might not matter so much. But whether or not people are being killed in your neighborhood, uh, whether or not the, uh, the, you know, there's a natural disaster on your way, or whether or not the, you know, there's a secret criminal ring that's you know, out, of, out of control, all these things fly around all the time. They scare people. They make people feel fear. And that's irresponsible. It's like the boy who cried wolf, right? It's irresponsible to do that when you could easily prevent it. You're talking to somebody who lives in Mississippi, but is from Louisiana, who's used to hurricanes all the time. And yeah. annually, we get information, okay, once June 1st hits, and we know it's the beginning of hurricane season, well, we're already mentally prepared for it. But then every time a storm is named, with the information pushed out, especially when it becomes a, a category one hurricane, Oh, yeah. this is going to be dangerous. This is going to be this. It's going to be that, and yeah, and uh, you know, the closer it gets to landfall, you know, they're having the interviews of people and the ones who are not evacuating. And I've not evacuated a number of times. Are yeah. saying, what's wrong with these people? They're crazy. Don't they know what happened with Katrina? Don't they know what happened with Isaac? Don't they know what happened with Rita and all these other ones? And you know, they go back to a name storm that caused a lot of damage yeah, and provoked this sense of fear. And then there are those of us who are like, just another storm. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I think, uh, Dr. Neal, the, the real problem there is most of us think in binary terms. Yes, yeah. no. Yeah. Happened, didn't happen. Right? So if we hear a storm's coming, people will even say, ah, evacuate, it's dangerous, or don't worry about it. Like there's nothing in between. Um, so one of the things that we talk about in our book is the importance of creating probabilistic thinking. This means not terming, thinking in terms of yes or no in some things, but thinking in terms of how likely is this? So if a storm's coming through, you could think, hmm, the last 10 storms, two of them were actually pretty serious. This one, the way they're talking on the radio sounds similar to the way they were talking about those other ones. So there's like a two in 10 chance that this might be serious. Should I evacuate? Two in 10, that's one in five. Maybe it's worth evacuating. Uh, so just simply take a look at the probabilities. Now, the, the book explains how to do that in some more sophisticated ways, but it keeps us from, thinking, from falling into the flaw of thinking, well, it either happened or it didn't happen, as opposed to, especially in forecasting hurricanes, what is the probability it's going to be bad? You know, we, we don't say, ah, the weathermen, you can't trust them. They said it was going to rain and today's sunny. We say, well, they said there was an 80% chance of rain. So this one time they were, they were wrong.
Absolutely. Um, I'm going to try to wind this on down. So as you get to the end of the book, it really captures my attention. You present um, cognitive language. You present language about cognitive biases, mental errors, and um, other stuff. And you list 10 lies, vagueness, glittering generality, willful ignorance, lie by omission, uh, confabulation, and that's a word I just learned to use really well lately. Uh huh. Uh huh. Deceptive hyperbole. I learned that writing in, in my dissertation research. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Of obfuscation. I think I said that right. Blatant mm -hmm. lie, gaslighting, and paltering. Now there are some terms that I know is used more frequently. And for example, blatant lie gaslighting mm -hmm. and um um what's the other one lie by omission yeah those are the ones i think i i know i was more familiar with and vagueness too because you know, being a public figure and uh, i do a lot of public speaking so i have learned how to integrate vagueness when i'm trying to relay a story and make mm -hmm. sure the story connects <laughs> mm -hmm. It's truth, but I'm going to leave it as vague as possible to make it connect as broad as possible. Right. Um, but those words um, seem to, or those, I don't know if those words, but those I said, those concepts, those lies, especially the gaslighting right now is, seems to be a dominant part of misinformation today. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit more on uh, these and along with some of the cognitive biases that we uh, we that are uh, we experience. Yeah, absolutely, um, Doctor Neil. Let me let me start by uh, talking about cognitive biases, and then do you want to like pick a kind of lie and throw it at me, and I'll I'll explain it from that, sure, that we, list. Sure, we can try that. We can try okay. that. Yeah. So so what are cognitive biases? So it sounds like they're they're biases like prejudice, but that's not what's meant by this at all. It's a scientific term that describes the particular mental blind spots that we as humans all share. And you can think of a blind spot as like a fishing lure, mm -hmm. right? I don't know if you fish, but you know, I, I certainly have you know, done a lot of fishing in the past. And one of the cool things about lures is they're designed to fool a fish. Now we might look at something like a little silver spinner. We think that doesn't look like fish food, but the fish sees the flashing silver and it looks like the scale are the kind of fish, little fish, that the bigger fish eat. Mm. So it specifically makes it look real to the fish. So what our cognitive biases are, are blind spots that we have that allow us to be fooled by people who can make something look like the truth when it's not the truth, right? Just like any really good liar can do. People can take these cognitive biases and fool us in those in those ways, and this is easy to illustrate by talking about one of the uh, most powerful kinds of cognitive cognitive biases, which is called the illusion of truth. Hmm. Now, how do you make a, a lie look like a truth? Well, one of the ways that scientists have actually tested and studied this is to repeat it so much that it becomes familiar. And if people who repeat a lie a lot, that lie starts to seem like, oh, yeah, we've heard this before. Now, I'll give you one example. Never mind your politics. Everybody heard Trump say again and again, crooked Hillary. Crooked Hillary, crooked Hillary, crooked Hillary. 
so much that even people who planned on voting Democrat would say, at Hillary, there's something I just don't trust about her, mm -hmm. right? And they would say, really, what? What, did he, what has she done that's criminal? And you, they would say, well, something about her emails. They wouldn't know, but they had it in their head that somehow there was something not right. So you got to watch for politicians say something again and again and again, but they don't have any evidence for it. They may be trying to pull the illusion of truth on you, like a magician, making you think something is real when it's not there. And that, that, that last statement, the magician, and the, and yeah. the, that's probably the most relatable because I've yeah. been through plenty of times by amateur magicians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They're trained in sleight of hand, how to use their hands to make something seem to, to be real when it's not. Politicians are trained in sleight of mouth. <laughs> They're trained to make something sound real when it's not. And we've got to protect ourselves from that. So let, one of the 10 lies, and I, I want to say I have an, I, an understanding of this, but uh, this, the, gl the glittering generality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I know it has something to do with emotions, but uh, yeah. So when we go through it in this chapter, we give these scenarios of somebody buying a used car from a salesman that we call Truthful Tom, who's a liar. Mm -hmm. And he tries different kinds of lies to get people to buy the car. So the glittering generality would be if you said, so I'm interested in this car, uh, Tom, uh, is it in good shape? And he says, this car is just the kind of car that country loving patriots drive. You'll see so many people driving down the, the road with this car. They've got an American flag in the back, in the back seat because they you know this car is made in America. They love their country. That's why they buy this car. And it's like, wow, oh my God, this really appeals to my value of patriotism. And so you may think, yeah, this is the car for me. But what Tom has left out is whether or not this particular car actually has a good engine or not. <laughs> so he's like, with sparkle dust, he's throwing sparkly glitter at you, talking about your values, the things that are really worth cherishing. But that sparkly glitter blinds you to the fact that he hasn't talked about whether or not the engine's good, which you deserve to know. So let me give you an example from the pandemic. I'm going to make this up. But if someone says, you know, what's our strategy to fighting the pandemic? And the person said, well, you know, Americans have a can-do spirit. They know how to go the tough the things get tough, they know how the tough get going. And we're tough people, and we're going to survive this pandemic, and we're going to be greater than ever. Well, he hasn't actually given you any details about how they're going to fight the pandemic, but he's made you feel, yeah, we're tough. So that's a glittering generality. You know, you, you broke my heart. I, I was in sales for a number of years. <laughs> that is how I made my commission. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, and, and the truth is, there's nothing wrong with evoking values. Yeah. But if right. you use somebody's values to deceive them about a problem, that's really dishonest, right? Uh, yeah, if you take right. something that somebody really cares about, whether it's um, caring for people who uh, are, are, are sick or um, valuing their, their, their patriotism, and you abuse that to get them to, to, to fool them into something dishonest, that's a lie. 
and I know you would never in your in your days as a salesman you would never use people's values to lie about the thing you're I just I just stretched my um my well I never lied (laughs) (laughs) you may have a career in politics Dr. Neil (laughs) no um I, I really appreciate this book, and I'm going to bring this interview to a close, and I really appreciate you and uh, Dr. Persky for putting this together. Um, so you, the book is full of very, very vital information that I believe everybody should get. If I could, if I was like Oprah, I'd be like, you get a book, and you get a book, and you get a book. You know? Um, because the value of the information in this book, as I have read and, and you know, I thought I knew enough and I've garnered so much more from this and I, I just appreciate the writing is easy to read and it, yeah, it's long, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I've gotten into the habit of listening to all of your books and not reading as much. That's just fine. <laughs> and, and so when I was reading it, I was like, oh, but it was really fun, interesting to read. Um, for those of you just joining me, I am talking with Tim Ward, co-author of Pro Truth, uh, the Pro Truth book, blah, Pro Truth book, and um, what's the whole name? Of it? Pro Truth: A Practical Plan for Help Me Get the Right Putting Truth Back into Politics. Thank you. Yeah, you didn't think I should. Uh, you didn't think I would know that since the book is right in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I get for trying to come about, you know, being smart. So um, tell my audience how they can get a copy of the book, how they can get in touch with you, and um, if they were interested in putting this into action in their personal interactions and their personal engagement on social media and in the personal relations, how they can go about doing that. Sure, absolutely. So first, the book. And the book is your personal protection plan. You read this, you can get smart about how politicians lie to us, and you can be, you can make yourself safer. It's pro-truth. That's all you really need to know. You put that in whatever, wherever you like to buy books, whether it's Amazon or Barnes and Noble or your local bookstore. And I'm all in favor of supporting local bookstores if they're selling books online these days. Just ask them for pro-truth. It'll pop right up. It's a great name, eh? Nobody else has written a book with that in the title. So Pro-Truth, that'll get you the book. Beyond the book, there's the pledge, which is something that everybody can agree to follow that makes them, that helps keep them from spreading misinformation on social media. And there's a super easy um, website that you can go to. It's protruthpledge.org. Protruthpledge.org. And there you can read about the, the pledge. You can see how easy it is. You can share it with your friends, your, uh, your, your contacts, and you can do your part to make the internet less dangerous, less filled with misinformation. And boy, in election season, that is so necessary. And on that website, you'll also see there's easy buttons to find where you can volunteer, where you can look at other ways that you could support or join the movement. You can become part of the pro-truth movement. Movement. And if you feel you had enough of politicians lying to you, this is the place to go and do something about it. And we in the Pledge, man, we welcome everybody who wants to make the world a more truthful place, who wants to send a message that truth matters. 
Awesome. Again, thank you so much uh, for joining and giving this information. And I hope my listeners and will uh, take this in consideration seriously and do all they can to be proactive and pro-truthful. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. Thank you guys for listening. And that is it. Something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.